Hey, one more thing before you go. Are you ready for a conversation that's going to stretch your imagination and expand your consciousness? In this episode, we're diving deep into the fascinating world of astral travel, its extraordinary ability to explore realms beyond our physical existence. We're going to explore the age-old battle between good and evil as skilled practitioners work to free individuals from malevolent entities and dark energies that may be a foundation for mental illness and how exorcism plays a factor. We're also going to introduce you to a variety of holistic techniques and practices that can aid in mental and emotional well-being. We're going to provide you some valuable insights. I'm your host, Michael Hurst. Welcome to One More Thing Before You Go. My guest in this episode is Alibard Jones. He's a coach and a healing practitioner who has studied close to 50 styles of meditation, trained people in astral protection, bringing peace and tranquility to troubled minds, and understanding holistic approaches to mental health and medical issues. It is breaking ground in the areas of spiritual and coaching worlds. His research of the connection between demon and mental health is groundbreaking as well, and his teams work on the ascension of Earth to 5D, we're going to explain that, issues in the human evolution. Welcome to the show, Alamar. Morning, everybody. How are you all doing? What a fantastic and amazing and diverse journey that you have been on so far in your life. Well, it's funny because like uh, I was talking about this the other day and with somebody who's done something similar and I had to say to them, I just wouldn't recommend this journey to anybody. I would, it's so demanding. The price to get here has been so high. I wouldn't recommend it to anybody actually. Well, I think, uh, well, yeah, I mean, you kind of, you're kind of almost on 24 seven, aren't you? Pretty much. Like I, I did a 13 hour day yesterday. 13 and a half and that was okay like you know i got up this morning jumped in an ice bath and um and started my day again like it's just what it takes uh, you can have the ice bath uh, i'll i'll leave that one to you <laughs> i can never get into ice baths <laughs> but i'm sure it would I'm sure it's invigorating um it's it's good so I, I kind of like to start at the beginning. So, you know, my, I like to tell people's journeys and how they got there and, and how you got to where you're at now and, and where you came from. Uh, where did you grow up? I grew up in Melbourne in Australia. I had a really average childhood, I suppose. Um, you know, like none of, this, none of this really came about until I was about 30 years old. Like none of this mystic stuff um, ever played a part. It was not part of our family tradition. Nobody we knew was into it. And I even think I, 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 I was drunk one time and I think I grabbed somebody by the shirt front and shook them because I didn't like them talking this mystic bollocks, you know, that they were on about. Um, but, you know, I, as usual, you have to have your spirit completely crushed and then ground into the dirt before you're ready to accept something like this. You know, I, um, and for me, that was about alcohol. I, uh, I was, I was drinking a liter of vodka a day. And, um, and when I quit, it took me about two or three years before I could really trust my own decisions and think for myself. Like it was a very, very difficult time where you can't even trust your own mind. Um, you know, so yeah, it is. Me, yeah. I think that, you know, it, it is um, a journey as such as that. I know that a lot of times I grew up with two alcoholic parents and I know that they had trouble, you know, um, in, in what seemed to me as a child watching them, you know, it seemed to me that they were fighting demons or unknown, unknown something around them, especially my father. You know, it looked like he was sitting in a chair and he'd be talking to somebody nobody was there, um, angry. Basically, and, yeah. You know, and this kind of a thing. So... I, do you think that alcohol was your open door to to that kind of a world or that tip that part of the world? Oh no. Um, well, look, I was about three years sober, and then I had to go. I, I I did the twelve steps three times in one year, and so then I I, I realized there was a plateau to how far that spiritual program could take you. So then I uh, 
I went looking for other things. Now, six out of the 12 steps talk about God. So I went shopping for one. I went to the old school Christians. They didn't have it. I went to the newer happy clappy churches. And they were nice people. But when I asked them for a mentor to show me how to find Jesus, they'd, they'd never heard that before. It was a completely new thing. I went and hung out with the Buddhists, um, a landmark. But, um, you know, with the Buddhists, you had to hang out with them for five years, do, you know, do their meditations for five years before they'll show you the really interesting stuff, which is the astral projection, the really cool astral projection stuff that I'm into now. When I came to the hippies, all they wanted was money. So I gave them a bit. And the first astral projection course was good and it paid dividends. And then the next one did and the next one did. And I easily did 50 or 60 of those weekend courses. Um, you know, I've also studied the under the hood of all of the different uh, religions and looked really, uh, you know, as to what is that religion actually trying to do on the astral plane? Like what is its structure? How does it work? And what are its strengths and weaknesses? And I've been doing this for a very long time. For a very long time. So, did you, if I can ask, uh, did you grow up with a religious background? I mean, were you Catholic or I'm Presbyterian? Oh, seriously, or? like I was taught, I was taught Our Father and Hail Mary when I was a kid, but that's about all I can tell you about it. That's about There's it. not even any serious Bible study. So, something that on your journey along the line, you explored it to a point that you got a better understanding, I think, for the way that you who had done it, because you got a wider perspective of different religions and different spiritual spiritual perspectives or levels, I would guess, you know, because... No, I, was, I, was, I was a blank slate when I started studying this stuff seriously. In my perspective. Um, I would yep. say that, you know. In Buddhism... I, um, well, mm -hmm. I'm sorry, Buddhism, Buddhism, is, is it a religion or philosophy? Um, neither and both. Neither and both. You know, well, look, you know, you, you're not... You're not strictly required to believe anything, but you know there are there are conclusions that they will lead you to. Um, you know, through your long-term meditation and through their um, dissertations and lectures, they'll they'll lead you to the conclusions they like. From that perspective, so in learning meditation, did you feel that that helped you? Meditation's everything. It's just taken over my life. Um, you know, I'm doing... So meditation means about as many things to me as the word exercise does to everybody else. It's, um, there are that many ways of doing it. For most people, you know, there are manifestation and visualization meditations, but most people are taught a stillness meditation or a breath meditation, which is a, is a, which is a Buddhist thing. Um, but it's really just the tip of the iceberg of what's possible. And I feel that the Buddhists are doing humanity a disservice by just showing them that meditation because it is the absolute slowest way to get anything done. Yeah, it's, I mean, I learned meditation, but my meditation comes from, and it helped, it helped me through all my journey with my pain and with my healing process. Um, with the operations that I've been through and so forth, I was able to use meditation instead of uh, using using uh, the drugs, the Vicodins and the the codeines and things like good, that. Good moves, good moves. Thank yeah. you. I agree with that. It, I think I came out of that much better and quicker, actually, with that. And I use meditation, use some acupuncture and some things like that, more mm -hmm. naturopathic and holistic perspective and Eastern medicine type. Um, how did you, uh, you said you come into the, the spiritual environment around the 30 years old. How did, what was your, your, your interest? Was your interest in astral projection or interest in? Oh, no, no, oh, the, interest, the interest was very, very basic. I was crazy. I was absolutely nuts. I was the youngest person in Alcoholics Anonymous. That takes some doing, you know, that's oh. quite an achievement. You've got to be crazier than everybody else. Um, I I started doing these meditation courses, these astral projection courses for self-improvement, to reprogram re my emotional self, which, you know, if you're doing meditations like that, you're heading in the right direction. In the third course that they that we did, they just did a, showed us how to scan for these parasite spirits or pain bodies or negative entities. There's a few words going around about them. 
and I would scan myself and I was covered in them. I go, oh, like, that's no good. And the teacher couldn't even tell me how to get rid of them. Wow. Um, yeah, so I... Uh, so when you said pain, uh, when you say these entities attach themselves to you? Yeah, these are parasite spirits. These are spirits that are sucking on your life force and making you think too much. Does that also work with like yeah. for pain and and I mean it goes every help us understand? Does it do things like that? The parasites, parasite spirits, yep. do they attach to mental, physical aspects, or just go for the mental, or just go for the physical? Well, there's uh, there's eleven different types. Like, um, Eckhart Tolle got famous because he found type one, which is, the he called it the pain body. Most spiritualists call them negative entities or Klingons or attached spirits. Um, but these are parasitic spirits. And the symptoms for those are thinking too much, anxiety, um, insomnia or sleeping trouble. Uh, you probably have been suicidal, but not strictly. But the key one is that you're mean to yourself in your own head. And for people, your body is designed to carry one quantity of thought. And these things will add a little bit of extra thought. And that's uncomfortable. So when you ask somebody, do you think too much? Either they don't know what you're talking about, or they go, yes, of course I think too much. I wish it would end. And it's because this particular type of spirit is just chattering in your ear, chattering, chattering, chattering. And this is the purpose. It'll get you to... It'll mention, say, jealousy or anger or sadness or whatever it is, whatever its particular thing is. And then you'll think that thought and then you'll create the emotions around sadness or anger or whatever it is. And then you'll, that emotion is its favorite food. So it puts one point of energy into you and it cycles through your body, through your torus field. And then you, um, and then you, it has 20 points of that energy to, re to recover from you. It is just stimulating thought for its own good. It's a parasite. It manipulates its host to do so. Is that similar to... Does that make sense what I'm saying? Absolutely makes sense what you're saying. And I, in fact, I resonate with some of that actuality. I think that you know, when I have trouble sleeping quite often, actually, it, it makes me wonder why and why I'm not sleeping, because I try to meditate before I go to, to bed, but I'm still up at three in the morning. You know, it's like it never fails. Yeah. And it takes me an hour yeah, to go back to sleep. Kind that of would be normal. Yeah. That would be normal for that. Um, what's the difference between something like that? Uh, I know that you, you, you're theoretically a demon hunter. So what's the difference between that and a demon? Um, those are just the small fry, but the reason why I got into this work was because I learned how to scan myself and I saw that I, I, I was covered in them. And then I would go to 12 step meetings and I'd just one by one quietly scan all the people in the meetings and they were all covered in them too. And I, I looked at it and it, and I looked at it and I go, there's something going on here. This, this is a secret. This, this is a thing. Like if everybody in this room has the same issue, then, you know, there's something to research here, there's something to look at. And, you know, when I got rid of the first one off myself, it took me about four months. Um, I was walking down the street a couple of days later and I go, oh, this is how normal people feel. This is how normal people feel all the time. I feel, I'm just so relaxed, everything's easy because this demon's not constantly chattering in my ear. Do you um, think it has something to do? Uh, brilliant for doing that, by the way. Um, I know that uh, I, in the material that I have that I've read on you and some of the stuff that I was given to me, uh, you kind of relate the possibility of that uh, that type of entity, that type of demon, uh, mm -hmm. affects those individuals that have mental health. Um, I won't say issues, but they have mental mental health maladies. Uh, well, how does that come about? How do they do they Do they tip? I got so many things running through my head right now. So, can, can I can I lay it out for you? A little absolutely, bit? if you please do, I would appreciate okay. that. There are eleven different types that, like, there are, are four that I spend like 
80% of my time on, right? One is impulse control, uh, thinking too much, which is the ones we talked about. One is mood swings and an absolute absence of emotional self-control. And the fourth one is, uh, just give me a second, rumination or negative uh, mental loops or negative thought loops or paradigm traps. And these four constitute the bulk of mental health issues. Um, some people hear voices and they are the result of the mood swing guys. Um, within the, I don't know if you're familiar with channeling, um, but a lot of mystics can invite a spirit or a deity or an ascended master into their body and that'll speak through their mouth. Yes. Well, it's no different for the demons. They're using the same apparatus in the human body and they are literally able to talk into that person's head. And so those are the guys you're hearing voices. And, and, I, and I want everybody to take a moment and just think this one through, right? If the voices in people's heads don't come from demons, I want you to name a better candidate than them for that situation. If it's not the demons, then who the hell could it be? Because I'm really interested in hearing this. And if you can't answer that question, please be open-minded about this. Yeah. Uh, everybody knows that the mental health world is hugely ineffective. I know from my time with Alcoholics Anonymous and uh, working mm -hmm. in addiction that rehabs are about 5% effective over the... One year later, that person will return to their bad habits 95% of the time. Yeah. Like that's not a good cure rate. That's that's actually a bit pathetic. This is the case because they don't know what they're fighting. They don't understand what they're what they're up against. And if you took the time to remove these demons, then you would get somewhere. And I, and I will also talk about like a massive victory in uh, in understanding addiction, and it comes with the name Al Ghul. Now. Not Al Gore, the ex-US presidential candidate. Al Ghul is a Muslim deity, A-L-G-H-U-L, Al Ghul. Now, Al Ghul, where the Christian and Muslim empires met was in Spain, when the Moors took over Spain for a few centuries. And there the name is Alcohol. In English, the name is Alcohol. And in English, we say the words drinking spirits, it's because they are, you are literally inviting the spirit of Al Ghul into yourself. Now, I'll spend a little bit of time describing how the Muslims understand Al Ghul. He's the deity of chaos and destruction and mayhem and fermentation and rot and alcohol. And they hate his guts so much that they don't want him in their culture. And that's why you can't get a beer in the Muslim world. Because of this deity, they outlawed alcohol in in the Muslim in Islam. That's that's amazing. I mean, I've never heard that. This person have actually un understood it from that perspective. I always wondered why they outlawed alcohol um, of yeah. any form within within it's that. It's very region. popular everywhere else in the world. Why they've got something yeah. against it? That's why. That's why. And that's interesting. That's why. You know, and look, they don't have. And I've spoken to this deity, um, and he's a sad and regrettable figure. Like for him, his 24 hours a day, what's going on for him is he's looking, sorry, when you take the minion out of the alcoholic, the, the, uh, the foot soldier of Al Ghul out of the human being, then their craving for alcohol disappears. It's their behaviors around alcohol, change just like that it's huge it's powerful that's amazing but i spoke to oh man it's yeah and this doesn't take very long this takes a couple of hours max to do it's not very tricky anymore like the research has mm -hmm. been done we know exactly how to do it my biggest challenge right now is getting to people to believe that this is actually the story of what's going on they well, think yeah. i'm the crackpot well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's always an obstacle, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I understand that. I understand that obstacle. Yeah, it's 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 different. You know, my father uh, was an alcoholic. My mother was an alcoholic. My father died as an alcoholic, and you know, I know they put him through way back when. Obviously, I'm not a young guy. Um, so when I was 12, 13, 14 years old, when they put him through programs back then, it was back in the uh, early 70s mm-hmm. arena. It they, They put you in a facility, they give you, um, oh my gosh, the pill, the, um, can't think of the name of the pill now. Almost like Loudenham or something like that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the, the Prozac of the day. Pretty close. They give you a pill that basically, when you, when you, if you drank alcohol, it would make you sick and you throw up. That was how they were curing the alcoholics. Well, in reality, the people, my father, and we go to visit him. Um, those people around him as well that were in there at the same facility, they had learned to kind of adapt to that pill so they could take it and they would drink a little bit even though they get sick they'd drink it you know drink more they get sick again drink more get sick again pretty soon it's out of their system and then they could drink a whole bunch more and, and yeah, wow. you know they were people sneaking yeah. stuff it's chaos yeah. it's absolutely chaos and, just, and i've heard those stories in the 12-step rooms of people who you know go and meet an old friend and they know that the pill is going to make them sick but they just want to have a couple of beers with an old friend. And it ends three beers later, they're being rushed off to hospital. You're just going, what the heck? What yeah. was the point what of the that? Hell? Yeah, what the hell was that? What the hell was that? But coming from a perspective like you had just stated, I think that, you know, I do believe that we walk among demons and we walk among angels and we walk among fallen angels and um, attachments. You know, I I, yeah. I I know them as attachments. You, I mean, obviously, you've given me a deeper understanding of what those some of those attachments are um, at the moment. But from that perspective, I do have a. Uh, uh, I grew up Catholic, but I'm not a practicing Catholic. I did study some of the other religions and philosophies as well to have a good understanding of of the religious aspect, whether it be organized religion or whether spiritual side of life. Mm-hmm. So I I am participating in the spiritual side of life. So I talk to angels every day, um, mm-hmm. and, and, and I feel that uh, every time I need help, I just ask. So from that perspective, are there? do you believe in angels and demons? Well, I'm going to talk about the relationship between good and evil. Right? And most people think that Good and evil are equal and balanced forces. And from a professional exorcist, from somebody who's been researching this for more than a decade, that's not true. They are not. Most people look at a black and white yin-yang and, uh, and see that as the relationship between good and evil. Not true. They are not equal and opposite. Actually, the words yin-yang in Mandarin, they mean masculine, feminine and masculine. I speak that language, believe me. Um, the, the actual relationship is much uglier. Right? Evil is fundamentally parasitic. It is, there is a lot of, a lot of people use the word entropy around uh, evil. And it's because the basic, um, the basic motor, the basic, the fundamental anatomy of them always requires more fuel they need they do not they cannot stand on their own without collapsing now all of the ones who are good they are connected to the big g god and those guys have source energy and just like you and me we're good beings we're fundamentally nice people um and what we want is some and we have access to source and this uh, perpetual motion machine that will fuel us and keep us alive forever. Now, since they have denied God, they are disconnected from that perpetual motion machine. So they are entropic. It's like uh, they, they can't farm. They just have what they have on their own. Now, because they're in, a, they're in an energetic deficit, because they don't have any fuel, they have to get it somewhere and they can't go directly to the big G. So what do they do? They manipulate, well, 
humanity in our case. They manipulate humans into creating, you know, ugly emotions of anger and revenge and hatred and sadness and despair and jealousy and, 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 and all of these sorts of things. And they consume these emotions and that emotions is what sustains them. But these guys, are their entire culture is 100% directed towards humanity and twisting anything that's good in humanity and destroying it. And I will say that every single religion talks about this. And keep in mind that like when they're writing in the ancient world, they couldn't do very much of it. So that all of the books that they, that they produced, it's only a very small amount of data that they can share. And when you ask the question, what would you want to tell your forebears, your children's children's children, what do you, what thoughts of yours do you want to stay existent in perpetuity? Because that's what books could do for them. And this was, and there's two things that are common to all religions. And one is um, lifestyle. Be a good person, help other people, give freely, be gentle, be kind, be nice, blah, 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 blah. And on the other side is be selfish, be vicious, take what you want, um, take what you can get away with, steal and kill and murder, murder, rape, whatever it is you're into. And it says, do this one, don't do that one. Be good, don't be evil. Right? All religions talk about that in their own way. And the other thing that they all talk about are they these invisible spirits, these invisible beings who you can't see, but they can step into human beings and mess with their minds. The Christians call them uh, demons. The Hebrews call them Ouija, where we get the word Ouija board. Mm -hmm. the, um, the Muslims call them jinn or genies, where we get the story from Aladdin's lamp. And, and you can see the attitude, in the mm. difference in attitude, right? For the, for the Christians, you just never make a deal with the devil. But in Aladdin's lamp, make a deal with the devil. Go on, give it a try, but it's going gonna, it's gonna to blow up in your face, right? The Hindus call them Butpret, and the Chinese religions call them Morgwai. Um, but all of these things, all of them talk about the same phenomenon, and it's all researched independently. And so if all if everybody's talking about the same thing, then it's a phenomenon. Yeah. But, you know, and I, and I will also say, do you know what the scientific comment is on this? How much work has been done on demons in the scientific community? I, to be honest, I've not really paid attention to it from the scientific side of it. I have watched so many paranormal and supernatural programs that yeah. are ghost hunting or spirit hunting or demon hunting from those perspectives, but not necessarily from a scientific perspective. That's because science, there is not a single university that has published a single scientific paper. There's not a single institute. There is mm. absolutely nothing. If you say it's not science, it's because science is yet to comment on the entire, on the topic whatsoever. There is not a single piece of academic literature on demons. And it has the potential, it has the potential to revolutionize psychology. If psychology was to tackle, dim, dim, well, look, Carl Jung actually kept this under his hat. Um, and he was, he, what's the word? He dumbed down, not dumbed down, he edited out the more mystical and difficult to mm. understand parts of his work. But he was right into this. And, you know, his competitor, colleague, um, uh, Freud was yeah. was a cocaine addict. These are the two choices you have. You know, no mysticism, plenty of cocaine, let's listen to that guy, or the mystic <laughs> who is too nuts to listen to. You know, it's that you know, it's a messy situation, it's a messy area. Yeah, and I think and I think the involvement uh, today's society, I think we've evolved to a, a point where a lot of us are more open. Uh, to what the possibility is that it would exist out there because there are too many things going on and too many, well, possibilities is the only word I can think of, too many possibilities that that this does in fact exist. 
like I said, I, I believe in it wholeheartedly. So I, I have looked at it from different perspectives. I feel that, let me ask you this. Back when I was probably, probably about 12 years old, 11 or 12 mm-hmm. years old, I was awoken in the middle of the night, and I had what I absolutely 100% was not a dream. Mm-hmm. I got backed up against the wall in the basement of our house by what I saw was a demon in front of me. Old horns, drooling, big teeth, just hand on each side. Of the, well, you can't see me, but you know, hand on each side of the yeah. wall as I'm backed up to it and getting this close to my face and so forth, scared the shit, scared the hell out of me. So do demons exist with, from that perspective as well? Well, I think like their appearances, like they, they exist in a different spectrum of light. And there was a really, in all of my studies, they, you know how like the night goggles, the night vision goggles are all in green? Yes. You know, like if you, yes. yeah, they're all in green and black and that's, well, the original ones were in red and black. And, I remember uh, they that. They were deployed in Vietnam. They were deployed in Vietnam. Uh, the the first of them. And the weird thing was that with those goggles, you could also see demons. And I want oh. you to think about what's going on in a war zone and just what a party it is for for bunches of demons. And they had problems because people would start shooting at these demons. You know, they would freak out and start shooting at them. And um, that was a big problem. That was yeah, a that really would, big problem. That would definitely, so they changed, the, definitely they, changed the, they changed the base color to green for night vision goggles. Well, that's an interesting way they had to change that. Yeah, that, yeah, shooting at demons. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, what you going to do when you're 19 years old? You got a big gun in your hand and you see one of these things. Oh, right? exactly. That's the, that's Start pulling the trigger. The only option, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, the other guy's going. What the hell are you shooting at me for? <laughs> exactly, and his uh, guys in his own unit are freaking out. Going, dude, what just going on? Yeah, that yeah, would. Uh, it was it was bad, bad news. That bad, would change news. your perspective just a wee bit. <laughs> yeah, but well, anyway, they're not in. They're not in. Well, we have technology that can see them. We just choose not to use it. And if there's anybody listening who knows how to how the inside of one of those night vision goggles work. I'd love to talk to you because I'll pay you any amount of money for a, for a night vision goggle that can do that. Well, what, do you think, are there anything, as I stumble over my words, do you think that any of the red goggled ones are still around? Oh, well, it's, a, it's a military thing, so I'm sure they recalled them all and put them in a vault and somebody, you know, I've... I really think that the deep state and the um, and the military industrial complex are into demonic uh, ceremony study. I think that they've found their um, their their non-physical allies in the darkness. I, I would agree with that. I, I would absolutely agree with that, um, especially the current state. I, I, it's not even a controversial thing to say anymore, is it? No, really. I mean, it, it's almost yeah. coming naturally. You see evil walking among us at the moment. And I think in watching that evil walk among us and the loss of humanity, compassion, empathy, the, the outright, um, the out, well, I'll just say the outright lies, the outright misdirection, the outright, um, leading of individuals down a path that is so obvious that they're blinded by what they think they're going to get at the end of it. And, and yeah, yeah, look, like, I don't know what the, I don't know what the price is that you would accept to sell out your species. I can't imagine what it would be, but you know, these guys yeah. are lining up to do it. Lining up to do it. Yeah. And it's really sad. No, really not, not cool. Not, it's just not cool for anybody out there listening. Just not cool. Um, yeah. Can we touch back again on a- astral projection? Um, you know, I've I've heard ever since I was a kid, I've heard uh, the talk of astral projection. I can't remember where I first heard it, but I was, I might have been 
13 or 14, 15 years old when I first heard of astral projection. Mm -hmm. So help us understand what astral projection is, please. Okay. All right. There's this, oh, excuse me, it's got something going on with my eye. Okay. There are two, um, there are two schools in the West of astral projection. One is the military one, which is, re, which is focused on remote viewing. Remote viewing is starting in the 3D, flying around in the, in the non-physical and then coming back down to the 3D. So you can look into places that you can't physically be. And this is, this is good for spying. This is good for intel gathering. And the military loves it. So a lot of the people who uh, the military trains remote viewers, um, they're not thinking, as far as I can tell, they're not thinking about building or conquering or gaining uh, a strong presence in the non-physical world. However, the um, the mystics, sorry, the, the hippies, will, I'll call them hippies because it's not, because I like to. Um, I'll call them hippies, but the hippies have... They're all about rebuilding your body to its fullest and highest ideal, rebuilding its attitudes, rebuilding non-physical body systems. Um, you know, they, you can achieve uh, medical, you can resolve medical issues if you can resolve the spirit issue. This is the baseline of acupuncture, <clears throat> is resolving a non-physical body system to relieve the issues in the physical body system. Um, but for those guys, a lot of what they do is to astral project out of the body and then come back and look at themselves and scan and understand themselves from that perspective. And when you're doing a coaching session, they'll be looking, they'll float on out and then they'll look at you in the same way that you hope they've scanned and cleansed themselves. That's really interesting, actually. Um, now, when you, when, if we choose to astral project, let me ask you this. Um, we've all had those dreams. At least I, I will suspect that we've all had those dreams. Like when you feel you're flying across the, over the power lines and, you know, swooping in and out of trees yep. and you're just kind of flying. Um, and it, it feels fantastic. It feels great. You feel light. It feels real. Even though you're you're asleep, or you think you're asleep, is that a form of astral projection, or is that just a dream? You think because if somebody has some dreams like that, or goes into that state on a regular basis, and they still have the same exact feeling, the same the same senses, yeah. the same everything. And what you're talking about is theta brainwave. <clears throat> so right now. Uh, <clears throat> Right now we're running, uh, we're running beta brainwave, which is uh, 14 to 28 electrical blips per second in the brain. Like um, there's an electrical pulse going through the brain that often. And we're alert and we're conversational and we're aware um, that's being awake. If you do Buddhist meditations, you go down into alpha state, which is a stillness state, and you're running 7 to 14 electrical blips per second. When you're dreaming, you're running theta brainwave, and that is uh, four to seven electrical blips per second. Lower than that, you're going to delta brainwave, and that has really weird capacity to distort time. It's also uh, delta brainwave is also what you're using when you're in a coma. So it's a little mm. bit, um, you know, play with it at your own risk. The, um, yeah, it's, however, however, astral projection and lucid dreaming do this. They have some of the brain running in theta brainwave at one quarter speed, and some of the brain some of the brain running in beta brainwave. So it's kind of like a little bit like rubbing your tummy and patting your head, but with your brain. And you can learn how to do it. It's a skill that you can develop. But um, when you do this, you want you know, when you get out to the astral planes, don't try and reinvent the wheel. Please take an instructor and learn how to do things um, the right way. There are heaps of mistakes to make, heaps of them. And um, lots and lots of things that can go wrong. 
Um, I'm not saying it's fundamentally dangerous. It's fundamentally fantastic fun. However, however, like, get shown the ropes is the right way I would, I would put it. From what I've understood about it, oh, this has been a while back, um, we're all kind of attached by like a silver cord to our ourselves. Can that ever be, can that be severed if they do this the wrong way? Um, actually, well, there are well, we have shielding systems that make it un, uncuttable, un, inseparable. We have um, upgrades for our silver cord that can do that because it's because it's a risk now interestingly in the middle ages they'd have this thing called the book of shadows and the bishops right what they would go on these wild astral projections and um they'd fly around and they'd get themselves into who knows what right but sometimes they would people you know the servants would come and the bishops in a coma you know what the hell's going on here and What's happened there is that that silver cord has been cut and his spirit has been lost out there in the astral plane. It can't find its way back to the body. And they and this was so common that they actually started writing these things called the Book of Shadows. And what it is is you write down where you are and where you went and you, you create a, a trail for your friends to follow so they can come and get you and put you back in the body and repair your silver cord. It's um, it's a you, know, you don't hear about it very much in the modern world, but in the uh, medieval times, that's what was happening. That's what was happening. That's pretty. That's interesting. Obviously, I've heard of the Book of Shadows. I just didn't understand the real distinction of what exactly it was. But that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot well, of sense. Look, you know, you can put all sorts of things in a Book of Shadows, like all of your locations you visit, the things you find, the people you meet, the beings you meet. It's it's wild, actually. Kind of crazy. Um, how can astral projection help us? To, uh, I know that you talk about scanning and things like that. How can it help us if we've got a physical or a mental? Um, uh, I, I'm afraid to say issue, but I'm disabled. Mm -hmm. I mean, I can physically say I have okay. issues with my well, body. Look, if you've heard the set, the first hermetic law is that the universe is mental. Right? Everything is a product of mind and thought. Mm. And the Buddhists will agree with that. The, it's, that's in Buddhist philosophy as well. And Hermes is ancient Greek, oh, sorry, and in Egypt, he also traveled, it was called Thoth, right? This is his, under the laws of the universe as they exist. And the second Hermetic law is one you've heard, as above, so below. That, that, one, that one makes it into the Bible, as above, so below, as within, so without. And so what we do is with a physical ailment is we fly up here and we deal with the physical issue. We deal with the metaphysical part of it that's broken. And then in the following weeks, that repair will then filter down into the physical and the person will get well again. That's and, I, and I have quite a number of victories in that, in that arena, which I probably shouldn't talk about publicly. Well, you know, it, it is something that... I know that even with my disabilities and the, what I ended up with, you know, um, I went through a lot of anger, a lot of resentment, a lot of uh, depression in regard to my mobility to being taken away from me. And, and uh, you know, during that time period, um, my function, I, I mean, I'm way past this, but, you know, my function to me as a human being, as a father, as a husband, was diminished um, in that that had a profound effect on me from from that perspective. Um, I was able to, through meditation and through the support of my family, my friends, and, and everybody, I came out of that and understood that sometimes it's kind of a blessing in disguise from my perspective. But I still have health challenges. I still have the rheumatoid arthritis. I still have issues where I have swelling or inflammation or a, a flare, and that's kind of a thing. So is that something? Is this something that somebody like me or somebody uh, that that is affected like that out here in the world, can astral projection help them to overcome that or to repair themselves to a point where they're, they're, they feel back to normal? Absolutely. Absolutely. Like, um, you know, it'll, it, 
it takes my students a few years to reach the point where they can deal with a difficult physical ailment. Um, but you know, my graduate students are all competent in this arena. Mm -hmm. Like uh, we, yeah. And so if you want help with, uh, with rheumatoid arthritis, I'm sure we can help you out. I'm sure we have what it takes to resolve that for you. See, and I think that to me, that's a brilliant opportunity for us to understand, again, the possibility of what does exist out there that we have access to through source and we have access through, through, through people like you or your students that give us the opportunity to have a better understanding how we can help ourselves heal. Yeah, exactly. I think from there. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> Uh, when you deal with uh, evil entities, I, in some of the notes that I have here, you close portals to evil entity, entities that are trying to breach Earth's physical plane. Um, how did you come about getting into that side of the business? That's, I mean, to me, that's a demon hunter, right? <laughs> oh, no, look, um, I, I speak with, when I do exorcisms, I have a YouTube video that's called Exorcism Before, During, and After. And I get the demons that are in people to speak out their mouths. And we have a conversation, the, the three of us, my, my client, their demon and me. And it's, and our teams have gone and hunted down demon lords. And the fact of the matter is most of them already know who I am. Before they meet me, they know who I am. I, my name has gone around because I have such a massive body count of, um, of demonic forces. I actually have taken a, a bite out of everything they do, out of their entire civilization, we'll call it. Um, I'm being a proper pain in the ass to them. It's great. I, I feel like wonderful about it. Proper pain in the ass. I love, uh, that's a good term. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's, 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 as a cop, I, 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 in a sense, I fought the good and evil. It's the good and the evil, right? And I love yeah. You would, you would see this on a day-to-day -day basis in the force. Like all the people who yeah. are at their worst behaviors are doing so at the behest of a demon. Yeah, that's like, amazing. You would, you would, looking back, you, you, you through that filter. Like, can you can you remember situations where that's the best explanation? I can tell you that we and myself, in in particular, as we're talking about it, I have dealt with people at their worst. And I have dealt with the best people at their worst that you never would think were doing what they were doing. You'd come into those situations going, what the hell? So you, you see the people at their worst and the best people at their worst. And in the situations that they were in, the circumstances that they were in, that they were in obviously needed a deeper understanding of why they were there and what they were doing and, and how they were doing it. So it does make a lot yeah. of sense. To me, I know that I brought that up because before we started recording, I, you know, we had a brief conversation about about this statement that you had just made there, and um, the more I thought about it as we've been talking, the more it all makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot more sense, other than just, I mean, even the people that I dealt with that were uh, attempting suicide. You know, it took a lot to talk some people out of suicide, and there were people that unfortunately did not. We I wasn't able to talk out of suicide. But and we later found them that they had killed themselves. But you know, it it is that it, it goes across the spectrum, I guess. People with mental illness, people that were schizophrenic, people uh, 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 that were so depressed that they couldn't leave their house um, or yeah. step out and connect with any, anybody else in the world. So yeah, that makes a lot of sense, Oliver. Yeah, totally. Look, um, you know, and. If you've got a collection of depression demons, like there's just not enough human will to get over them. Uh, mm. Like people say, snap out of it. But what they don't realize is that there's a handful of other beings who are pushing sadness and despair and emptiness into your heart. And that's all you get to feel all day. Yeah, like, terrible. Can, like, how do you escape that? Like, yeah. It's not easy, you know? It's like being, it's, it's like falling easy. down a hole and you can't reach up to yeah, anything. Totally. And, and if anybody's listening and they're suicidal, let me explain the spiritual mechanics of suicide. Now, I'm going to talk about 
sacrifice. You know, you would have heard about it in the Bible where they kill the fatted calf to bless the wedding or the harvest or whatever it is that they've got going on, right? And what's happening here is when something dies, a whole bunch of fuel is released. And what's happening with suicide is that the demon is chattering in your ears so much that they make it sound like a good idea. So that when you kill yourself, all of your 4D spirit can be eaten by them. They have a feast. And the way that reincarnation works is bam, they're born back into you and it's as though nothing changed. Nothing happened at all for them. Time is, is a different animal where they live. And it's like they're just back in your new body with you. It costs them nothing to do so. So, so what you're saying is that even though they reincarnate, they still bring that entity with them to the new incarnation? Yeah. Yeah, so, like I, I, I went to the hospital and saw my friend's firstborn child. The kid's a handful of hours old. And I'm looking at them going, you you know, that, that major demon that's on them, like, God, this poor kid's life trajectory, if I let that thing stay there, um, who knows what would happen? What would happen? And so I, yeah. Now, I'm going to ask you this because it, it just, uh, from this perspective, it fascinates me in regard to earlier when we were talking about using night vision goggles, especially the red ones, to be able to see mm -hmm. demons. How do you see demons? Do you see them physically or do you see them mentally? Do you feel them? How, how if you know when you're in the presence of one of these evil entities, how do you know and what do you see, may I ask? Um... Like I say, it's just a, a, an eye filter. I, I, it's like reading. Like you can walk past a wall and you know there's something written on it, but if you spend a minute to concentrate, then you can sit, you can read the text and understand what's written there. And it's that kind of concentration that it takes me to get there, you know, to get to see them. And to scan and scanning through different body systems and seeing what I'll find there. But quite often you'll walk into a room and you'll feel... You know, when you walk into a church, it you can feel the difference. As you walk through the door, you can feel the difference in the mood of the room. You can feel just the atmosphere is different. It's exactly an old church, not necessarily a new church, but an old church, you'll get that. Um, with the, but it's the same thing with a demon. Like sometimes you'll walk into a room and you'll know that this is a bad, bad place or that bad things have happened here. And you're not necessarily and you're probably feeling the presence of one of these invisible monsters. Yeah, that's got to be, that's got to take a toll. I would think it would take a toll on your soul and your, your well-being when you're dealing with that on a consistent basis. How do you protect yourself? Oh, I, um, uh, every time they throw another dart at me, I create a shielding system to uh, lock it out. And so, look, they, they're not very imaginative beasts. And so I think I've seen their entire playbook. Um, so they've really got no weapons that work against me anymore. From that perspective. I had an interview with this uh, lady that um, she visited uh, Haiti. And oh, yeah. She, yeah, she said it was amazing. She, she, went out there, she went out there on a Christian retreat to help with the kids and kids that need to be adopted and so forth. She came back with a whole new perspective on different things, including what's on the other side. And she actually saw demons in the flames. And um, when she came back to the United States, it followed her back to the United States. And yeah. she turned out and she got a name from one of the voodoo priests to who it was. And um, it was crazy listening to her story. Yeah, she no, well, and there are a few places in the world where black magic is the norm rather than the than the aberration? Yeah, like Haiti. Like, uh, and Haiti is one of them. Haiti is one of them. I would say like, so. Uh, it's a, there's a few. There's a there's a few places in Central America. I think uh, El Salvador um, has a satanic priest. Uh, 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 sorry, a gang that's trained in the techniques of a satanic priesthood. And so the 308 gang, that's who they are, yeah. And those guys will just grab people off the street to sacrifice. They've turned El Salvador into a place that's unlivable. Oh, that's crazy. Now, now, when you mentioned satanic priest, so what's the difference between, um, 
does Satan exist? That would be the the proper. Does yeah, does the devil exist? Does Satan exist? Well, look, I'll talk to you. I I know these guys personally, Satan and Lucifer. I know them personally. Like I've had conversations with each of them before. Now, Satan is more of a bulldog or a bruiser. He's a bit of a thug, and Lucifer is his was his right hand man. Or I'll I'll talk about this in a minute. He's more of a politician or a strategist. He's the clever one, but he doesn't do confrontation, right? Because clever people are not necessarily, those sorts of clever trickery guys are not necessarily into, into confrontation, as you might have experienced in your time in the police force. Yeah. And that, that's so, Yeah. And so at some point in the past, Lucifer was a little bit too clever and he thought that he could kill and so and take the place of satan and a battle happened between the two of them and think of it like two snakes who are trying to eat each other simultaneously the two of them have tied each other in such amazing knots that they that they want um that they are now inseparable and like the image that we get is like a giant where you know, a giant where one of them's got the left-hand side and the other one's got the right-hand side and they can't move anywhere without each other and the two heads just bicker constantly. Back and forth. It's sort of like brothers. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, totally, totally. Yeah. But, right, this is the really interesting part. Satan wants to be my friend because he thinks that I'll kill Lucifer and kill his competitor. He wants to manipulate me into being his cat's paw. Oh, uh, this is what's going on. Like <laughs> he and and Lucifer knows I've got a personal grudge against him, and so like he's very evasive when I talk to him. When I find him, that that now I have this question, and, and this 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 because they're I, very I, real. They're very I, real. Very real. Yeah. But the question is, does Lucifer look like Tom Ellis? <laughs> Tom Ellis did the did um, Lucifer I, I on Netflix. I, mean, I don't know. I, just, I wish I did. Uh, Tom Ellis well, was uh, they had a, a series on uh, Netflix called Lucifer that ran for six oh, seasons. One of our favorite God. shows. Aren't you flabbergasted that he's the hero of a TV show? Aren't yep. you flabbergasted that it, it uh, was one I'm of those? Sorry, I, uh, I think it's because the way that Tom Ellis played Lucifer, it was one of those things where you kind of had empathy for Lucifer. And because um, kind of that, went, oh, that's the point of the show. Like, yeah. I, you know, Hollywood is full of these guys as well. Like, the, this um, demonic priests in Hollywood, like, these are the guys who get to the top of the food chain there. Well, they presented it really well because Lucifer is like one of our favorite shows. It's kind of one of those, okay. uh, you know, it's fun. It's a uh, wow, what if, you know, it's always that what if kind of a thing. What mm -hmm. if, because he owned a nightclub. He he escaped hell. Yeah, that's, that's the kind of thing that yeah. Yeah, on the well, one of our teams we were looking at what kind of people does Lucifer inhabit, and there are a number of um, movie stars and pop stars, male movie stars and pop stars, that are um, that are inhabited by Lucifer, and their lovers, their girlfriends. Uh, inhabited by a girl called, by a demon called Pistis Sophia, who Pistis? is the who is the Pistis Sophia, the the ancient Greek god for feminine wisdom is Sophia, hmm. um, and you know, but it's feminine, so the vindictive, the angry, the catty um, part of the feminine was split off. It was separated and became Pistis Sophia. And mm -hmm. Pistis Sophia is now the deity of sexual perversion, of pornography, of um, promiscuity, and um, anyway, you get you get where I'm going. I get with the this. idea. Yeah. And so, like, like, so you'll get like someone like Taylor Swift. Oh, I shouldn't say names. I shouldn't say names at all. Um, you'll get people who like. You'll get pop pop boy and pop girl who are dating. You're guaranteed that. Lucifer and Pistis Sophia are present in those two physical bodies. Both those physical bodies. Uh, that makes a lot of sense, actually. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Doesn't it? 
Now, yeah. how, how do you go about how do you, how do you go about closing a portal to evil entities? Um, it's a procedure that involves a, there's at least eight parts to the procedure. It took me ages to figure it out, and when I did, like, um, yeah, it freed me. It freed me. There's a, it's like a like not only it's it's blah 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 blah. blah. I got to the point where I could kill demons on sight. It was a very straightforward procedure. I knew I've done it many, many times. I knew what to do. But if you can't close portals, then they'll just send another one and another one and another one. And um, and I and it, I had to spend a lot of contact time, literally butting my head up against it in order to close these things. And um, it's it took a while to figure it out. But by closing them, it makes it possible to make an area clean after that. Which is a good thing. Are, are these portals like everywhere or are they only in specific areas or locations? Um, they're not uncommon, but the demons have to have a target there. So somebody's bedroom who's, who's uh, got a mental health issue or um, a pol or a jail cell. Prisons have got tons of them. Something like that. Um, or, or a psych ward will have them. Or um, maybe some kinds of nightclubs or strip clubs or places like that, you know? You can imagine Pistis Sophia having a portal into, an, into a strip club, right? right. That, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I've watched a lot of these uh, programs like Ghost Hunters and Ghost Adventures and, you know, the... Um, the dead files, um, some of those, my wife and I are fascinated by those anyway, but it, um, it's interesting to watch them and then they say, oh, I think there's a portal here. You know, they kind of sense mm -hmm. a portal someplace and I've always wondered about that, if they can show up anywhere or if they typically show up in a specific, um, uh, specific reason, but you just answered that. So I think that mm -hmm. that makes a lot of sense. Um, look, I could talk to you for a, a whole nother hour. Um, well, invite me back again. I would love to like, have I'm you. Sure, I'm sure I'll say entertaining things the whole way as well. Well, I, I, what, a, what an amazing education that you've been able to give us, I think, that to have a better understanding uh, of so many things, especially from the, the spiritual world or astral world that I wasn't aware of. And I know that a lot of my viewers and listeners wouldn't be aware of as well. Um, and, and we all think of good and evil. We all think of the devil and God and the devil, you know, the God and Satan. We think of demons. We've been taught specifics about what a demon is or what an angel is and, and so forth. And I think you've helped clarify some things for me and, as, and specific in me, but I hopefully we've done that with others as well. Um, if somebody had an issue or some need some help with regard to that, how can they find you? If they need some help, whether you've got um, uh, well, I have a I have a website alibarjones.com. Um, if you click through the links there, then you'll be able to have a fifteen minute chat with me and talk about whatever's going on for you. Because if I can help you, then I will. Thank God, you know. And my and don't underestimate the breadth of the situation that I can resolve. Um, you know, I do mental health issues. I do medical issues. I also do um, business coaching, but not, but not necessarily in the way you think. It's about predictions for what will happen in the business and which clients you should go after and which ones you should leave alone and which, where to spend your time and where not to. Um, it's, anyway, whatever it is, I'm sure if you have a conundrum, whatever it is, I'm sure my team and I can help you. And I'll make sure that those links are in the um, show notes so that everybody can just follow that link and get right to mm -hmm. you. That would be very helpful for anybody involved or looking for help. And I'm assuming across all planes, if they have, maybe they've got a, they, they have an evil entity or an attachment that needs to be removed uh, for whatever reason and, and start there. So, um, Halibar, thank you very much for, for yeah. connecting with me. And, um, Total pleasure. I thought it's been really good talking to you. Yeah, it's been a pleasure getting to know you as well. And thank you for what you do for the world, man. I think and from my perspective, you know, us individuals that are fighting evil from whatever perspective we are, um, you know, is getting fewer and fewer. Oh, uh, look, do that. you know, let, let, 
Well, let's make demon hunting trendy together. Let's um, let's make that the, the coolest like that. thing the kids can do. Right? <laughs> I like that. I like that. I like that. Well, so yeah, next year, we'll have to get, well, you have to come back next year. And um, yeah, let's talk about demon hunting and how we can make that a, a common language. <laughs> make it mainstream. <laughs> make it mainstream. That's a great idea. Um, yeah. This is one more thing before you go. So before we go, do you have any advice, Some any words of wisdom? Yeah. Um, you're fundamentally a good and honest person. The nastiest parts of you are reactions to the nasty that's been played upon you. Make the choice to do the good thing, to do the right thing. You know what this is, you always do. Hold your impulses back and do the right thing. The rewards are huge. Brilliant words of wisdom. Alibar, again, thank you very much for being with us. Thank you for sharing your journey and your wisdom with me. I really appreciate it. And uh, I will absolutely have a conversation with you again. So thank you. Uh, love to you all and may the force be with you. May the force be with you as well. And for everybody else out there that's listening, I really appreciate you being a part of the family, being part of this conversation. And I look forward to seeing you again uh, next Wednesday as well. And uh, one more thing before you all go, have a great day, have a great week, and thank you for listening. Thanks for listening to this episode of One More Thing Before You Go. Check out our website at beforeyougopodcast.com. You can find us as well as subscribe to the program and rate us on your favorite podcast listening platform.